Okay, let's look at our scripture. We continue in our series called Close Encounters with the Christ. And we're looking at a close encounter, but of a very different nature. This is from the book of Revelation. Uh, this is Jesus already having ascended to heaven. And he appears to the apostle John in an apocalyptic vision. And, and shows himself in a way that we don't see uh, or we barely see in the gospel. Uh, so this is the encounter of John, uh, his first meeting with Jesus on the island of Patmos. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame, like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The word of the Lord. Well, I have lived now 50 years on planet Earth. Uh, I turned 50. Thank you for some of your well wishes and jokes that you levied at me. Uh, for uh, turning this uh, age as the, as the white hair comes in more and more. And I've had the opportunity to see some pretty amazing things uh, throughout the world. I've been able to go to the Alps and see the Alps in their glory. Uh, I've been able to see the Colorado Rockies. I've been able to see the Palanca Reef in Mexico, uh, scuba diving the Palanca Reef. And, uh, and uh, nature is amazing. But probably the most amazing thing I can say that I have seen on this earth is a trip that we took to the Grand Canyon. And uh, there is something about rafting the mighty Colorado River and looking up and seeing these giant cliffs uh, of, uh, of different types of stone uh, soaring above you and, uh, and being on the raging water and, and seeing how powerful and awe-inspiring uh, it is uh, to be in that environment. It, it, it gives you a sense of how small I am and how great uh, the environment and God's creation around me is. I think that this, in a very, very small way, doesn't even compare to the experience that John had 
when he saw Jesus in all of his glory. Because in this passage, we see Jesus come in a way that is awe-inspiring, that causes John to fall to his knees and, and fall as, as a dead man. And we have to ask the question, why has this vision been given to us? Very clearly, Jesus says to write this down. And this is exactly what John did in this book that we're reading and meditating on today. Why is it that we needed to get this uh, picture of Jesus Christ? It wasn't for entertainment's sake, but rather it was given to us to encourage us, to let us know that we are safe in the arms of the majestic, glorious Jesus Christ. See, back then, John was experiencing affliction and difficulty and persecution because of his faith. He had been exiled to the island of Patmos because of the testimony of Christ Jesus. Now, we may not be experiencing the same kind of level of persecution that John is experiencing, though many of our brothers and sisters around the world are. But we certainly experience the affliction and difficulty if you are a Christian, of following Christ, the spiritual battle that is constantly uh, against us, of the evil one that pushes against us, that whispers doubts into our minds, that this is not the way, that following Jesus Christ is not worth it. And like John, there are times when we want to quit and want to give up. And it's then that we need to know that the most powerful being in the universe is for us. You see, since Jesus holds on to us, we can hold on and endure. We're going to take a look at three points and show what this message is about that Jesus gave to the church, gave to us. Number one, we need to look at John's particular situation. What can we learn from it? Then number two, we're going to look at Jesus' appearance. Why did he appear in this way? What's he communicating in these images and these pictures? And then finally, number three, we're going to look at Jesus' message. What is the message that he has for you and me that we need to hear today as we live here in Virginia Beach? So let's look at John's situation. We see John, our brother and partner in the tribulation. This is verse 9. He says that I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom... And the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is the apostle. He's one of the twelve. He was one of the closest uh, uh, friends of Jesus Christ. And yet he refers to himself not as the apostle, but rather as a brother and a partner. Meaning he's trying to communicate that I'm, I'm in this with you, just like you are. And he's a brother and partner in three different ways. He's a partner in tribulation. Now we talk, some people talk about the tribulation that is to come, that there's this period in time somewhere in the future where there's going to be this tribulation. But the reality is the tribulation has been going on since Christ ascended. Following Jesus Christ is hard. It's difficult. And John is experiencing it in a very acute way. He's on the island of Patmos, which is an island about 40 miles off of Ephesus. It's this rocky island. It's about six, six miles wide by 10 miles long. And that's where they would exile people for preaching the word of God. They just, they just get them out. They just maroon them on this rocky island. And that's where John is. He's a partner in tribulation. 
but he's also a partner in the kingdom with us. He shares the same experience that you and I have, that the kingdom of God has come already, and yet it's also not yet. All of the enemies of Jesus Christ have not been put under his feet. All is not well on planet earth. There is not peace. There is much difficulty and challenge. And we find as the kingdom advances and becomes closer and closer to us, tribulation advances as well. John is a partner in tribulation. He's a partner in this desire, this hope for the kingdom to come. And he's also a partner in endurance. The reality is if you want to follow Christ, you need endurance. It's the race of a lifetime. The challenge to have faith in someone that you've never seen. To put your hope and trust in someone that you only communicate with by faith and not by sight. The road gets hard and long. 2 Corinthians 2.12 puts it very clearly that if we endure, we will also reign with him. But we must endure first. See, we are partners in these three things now. We're partners in tribulation and difficulty. We're partners in the desire and hope for the kingdom. And we're partners in this race of endurance, running together all around the world. Today, people are meeting on the Lord's day to worship him. Some are meeting openly like this. Some are meeting in basements. Some are meeting out in the fields quietly because of the fear of persecution. But in all of us, whether in our situation or in some other situation, there's a temptation to grow discouraged. There's a temptation to fade in our race of following Jesus Christ, to have a desire, we hear the whispers, to give up, live the way of the world. Stop believing in this person who died and supposedly rose again. Where is he? And so God has intervened in John's life. And he intervenes in our life through this scripture that he gave to us, this message to encourage us. It says that John, I, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It's Sunday and John is worshiping on the island of Patmos and it says that he's in the spirit. We don't exactly know what that means, but we know that both Paul and Peter were both in trance-like states at, at one time before they were ushered into a heavenly vision. It appears that the spirit is working and he hears a voice like a trumpet. It's a voice like a trumpet. He doesn't hear a trumpet. And a trumpet indicates a heavenly origin. Much like when the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai, there was, they were accompanied by the sound of a trumpet. This is a heavenly message that is coming down. And this voice said in verse 11, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And it lists them out from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. So is this message simply supposed to be for those seven churches? Or is this message for us as well? Seven is the number. Remember, we're, we're looking at the book of Revelation, and Revelation is an apocalyptic book. Well, what does that mean? It means it communicates its picture in images and symbols. Jesus doesn't really have a sword that's coming from his mouth. It's an image. It's a picture to show who Jesus is. And seven is the number of totality. What 
Jesus is saying through this message is make sure that this message goes out to the whole church, not just these seven particular churches. Because it's important that we know what Jesus says. It's important that we know what Jesus looks like. Why does God reveal himself in this particular way at this time? Because he knows what we can take. He knows that we need something to carry us along on this journey. And so he's given us this living book, this message that he gave to John, which John wrote down, which I am giving to you. I'm giving to you. He knows that we need it because the journey is long. I don't know if you ever go camping or not. We used to go camping. It's a fun thing going camping. You know, you put your whole house on your back like a snail and you head off into the woods to do battle against the insects and the elements. But there's some certain things you have to take if you are going to make it on your journey, right? You need a shelter for one. You may need a compass if you're going ahead and orienteering so you know the way to where you're going and you know the way that you need to get back. And you most certainly need food and water because it's going to be hard to encounter it on the trip. We, in the same way, are on a journey of faith. And it's easy to get discouraged and tired. We have an enemy that battles against us. And God wants us to know that he has not forgotten us. That he's written to us in his word, in which he speaks to us in a living way. The primary way that we communicate and gaze on Jesus Christ is through his word. His word sustains us. It gives us strength for the journey. And so we must feed on it. We must believe it. We must apply it to our lives, for our very spiritual life depends on it. Let's look at this message that we must depend on. My second point, Jesus' appearance. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. Well, what are these lampstands supposed to represent? We actually see in verse 20 it's communicated that the lampstands indicate the churches. Each of these lampstands represent the church in totality. And that makes sense when you think about it that the church would be a lampstand. Because the purpose of the church is to give light to the world. And so in the midst, verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The Bible is going to go on to describe Jesus Christ, but he doesn't describe him like the normal way that we describe a person. We normally say, well, he has dark hair and he has brown eyes and he's about yea high. No, in this book, in this apocalyptic book, the appearance that is described describes his character, describes his nature. And so we see that this person, Jesus Christ, is in the midst of the lampstands. Indeed, Revelation 2 once describes him as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, he's in the midst of the church. Jesus is not merely over the church. He is not distant from the church. He's right in the middle of the church. He's in the midst of us today. 
Jesus is moving among his lampstands, trimming the wicks and carving the wax and breathing life back into flickering flames. See, Redeemer is one of his lampstands, which he's caring for and nurturing so that the flame does not go out. And this should be comforting to us to know that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his church, caring for it. Jesus, in fact, is the source of light that this lampstand gives to the world. What do we have to give to the world? What do I have to give to you other than Jesus Christ? Jesus put it this way, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is in the midst of his church. And he's described as one like a son of man. You'll hear the word like a lot in the book of Revelation because he's, well, there's always an image or a symbol that's being used. So what does it mean that Jesus, the one in the midst of the church, is like a son of man? Really, it means two things. The first is he, Jesus, his favorite term to describe himself was son of man. He identified himself with humanity, that he was a man just like us, fully God and yet fully man, able to identify with the difficulties and challenges that each one of us face. But son of man means so much more. It was a phrase that was used in Daniel to describe uh, Jesus Christ. Here's Daniel 7:13. I saw in the night visions, another apocalyptic image, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, meaning the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the description of Jesus Christ, this one like the Son of Man, whose majesty, whose power, whose authority are unequaled and unrivaled. The one whose kingdom is coming and whose dominion will be everlasting and shall never pass away, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the one who walks among the lampstands. This is the one who is in the midst of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. How comforting to know that the Son of Man is ministering and watching over his church. And we see that he was wearing a long robe with a sash of gold. This is a description of the high priest. Jesus is the final high priest who brings all the priestly work that was done in the temple of protecting and watching over the people, of making sacrifice to sin, sacrifice for sin to the end. In fact, in Revelation 1.5 earlier, it says that Christ has released us from our sins by his blood. Jesus' blood covers the church. And so Jesus is our high priest who is ministering to us from God. The hairs of his head, verse 14, were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. We see here in this description of Jesus that he looks very much like his father, God. 
Because this is the description of God, the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, where it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, meaning God the Father, took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and his wheels were burning fire. It would make sense that Jesus looks like his Father God because he is the image of God, the firstborn over all creation. Why does Jesus have white hair? It denotes wisdom and agelessness, that Jesus is wise beyond all other people. And he has eyes of fire. What does that mean, eyes of fire? It means that he can see everything, that he can peer into all situations, all difficulties, all challenges. Anything, the corner of darkness, is as light to him. And it denotes also that he is a passionate one, that his eyes are aflame with the flashing fire of inexhaustible energy and hope. Jesus Christ never tires. His eyes are of fire, and his hair denotes wisdom. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. What does it mean that his feet were like burnished bronze? It means that he's impervious to uh, the ground. He cannot be hurt. We all know that we have to wear shoes or, or, uh, or on rocky soil, on difficult terrain. Uh, our feet will be cut and bruised. But Jesus Christ is impervious to the challenges, to the elements, to his enemies. He has the strength and power to trample down the wicked with his feet of burnished bronze. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. John was on an island, marooned on an island, and I'm sure there were storms in that Mediterranean Sea. Perhaps you've got to hear the sound of water as it crashes against the rocks and it gives this distinctive roar to it of the power of water hitting stone. This is the voice of God. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now what does it mean that he held seven stars? Verse 20 says that the stars represent the angels of the seven churches. And remember, the seven churches represents the church in its totality. But I want to suggest to you that he's not talking about angelic powers. The word angel in Hebrew, malach, means messenger. The messengers to the seven churches. I think he's talking about pastors in this passage. And that's, that's a common interpretation that he not only holds the church in his hand, but he's also watching over and protecting the pastors of the church as they minister, as they give the message of the gospel. And this is quite encouraging to me because I know that save for the grace of Jesus Christ, I would surely fail. And I would not have a message to give you that's worthy of your time. He holds me and he holds us in his right hand. And his right hand symbolizes power and protection. And in his mouth, there is a two-edged sword. What does that mean that there is a two-edged sword in his mouth? And in fact, it says, in his mouth came a two-edged sword. And this word came, it's a present participle in Greek. It means 
it was coming a two-edged sword. In other words, it continues to come out from his mouth, continues to go forward. Now, the two-edged sword was the sharpest tool in the Roman arsenal. The two-edged sword, the sword means the word of God. There are multiple places in the Bible where the sword is referred to as the word of God. Many of us know Hebrews 4.12 where it speaks of his word as like a sword penetrating and judging our deepest thoughts and attitudes. It's a picture of Jesus Christ's word coming into the world, not only ministering to us, encouraging us, but also defeating God's spiritual enemies as he ministers to his people. Finally, we see that his face was shining like the sun in its full strength, denoting the purity and the holiness and the majestic power of God. I don't know if you remember uh, using one of these before. It's a three-by-five card. We've, we've, we use them and we pull them out and cut a little hole in them whenever there's a solar eclipse, right? Because we want to see the solar eclipse and so you get one of these and you get another card and, and you turn because the reality is there's no way we can stare at the sun in its full strength without burning our corneas and ultimately causing permanent damage. Which of us has ever tried to stare at the sun when it's shining in its full strength? You can't do it. And that's what Jesus Christ is like. The power that emanates from the one that gives light to the world that sustains all life through himself. Yes, Jesus Christ, the powerful one, is always in the midst of the church. And he's our protector. With his sword, he protects us and ministers to us. With his feet, he tramples down the enemies of the church. With his hair, we see the wisdom of the one that has the answers to all the problems of life, the one who we can go to when we don't know who else to go to. And with his eyes of passion and energy, he gives us life, and he sees into the dark things of the world and brings light there. The one who's in the midst of Redeemer Presbyterian is powerful, and he's also beautiful. He's worth all of our worship, all of our adulation. So let us cling fast to him. Let us not cling fast to other things that have no beauty, that have no power, that are not worthy of our devotion and our affection, the trinkets of the world that are paraded forth as if they're such great things. We have a tendency, my brothers and sisters, to think that we are alone in this battle to follow Christ. But he is with us. He is here. And he will continue to sustain us to the very end. That's what Jesus is communicating to us through his appearance. Since Jesus holds on to us, we can hold on and endure. Which brings me to my final point, Jesus' message. We've seen what Jesus looks like. Now we hear what Jesus has to say to us. Verse 17 when John saw him, it says, I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. 
John's response is the same response that we would have if we looked up in the face of someone whose face was shining like the sun. I fell at his feet as though dead, utterly unworthy to be in the presence of the holiness of God. But what is Jesus' response? He has not come to slay John. He has not come to condemn John. And he has not come to condemn us if you are a follower, one who trusts in Jesus Christ. He lays his right hand on him and through doing so gives him strength, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. First he says, I am, I am God. He invokes the name of Yahweh, I am that I am. And I am first, meaning that he is creator, the one who brought all things into being. And he's not only first as creator, but he's first as firstborn from among the dead. Because as a man, he died on a cross and he rose again. He is the first and he's also the last. He is the one that will bring all things to completion. He was the one that will ultimately destroy death. He is the one that will ultimately make everything sad become untrue. And since Jesus Christ is the first and the last, we can have peace in the middle. Jesus continues, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. He is the living one. Unlike false gods that we worship, idols that we build on this earth, he is the living one. He is the one that we can actually go to and relate with because he is alive and he has power. I died, he says. Yes, God died on the cross, Jesus Christ, for your sin and mine, for the sins of his people. And I am alive. He is the resurrected one, the one that death could not hold, that the grave could not contain. And I am alive forevermore. All other people, all of us at some point will, unless Jesus Christ comes, will die, will pass into the grave, waiting for the resurrection. But Jesus is alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, possessing keys is a symbol of power and authority. I have a car outside and I have the keys to it in my pocket. That symbolizes that I have control over it. No one can get into it without me allowing them. No one can start it. No one can drive it without me giving them the keys. And Jesus is saying, I have the keys to death and Hades. What are death and Hades? Well, death is a state and Hades is a place. It's death and hell, the, 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 the process of death, the status of death and the place of hell. I have the keys over them. And it would make sense that Jesus would have the keys over death and Hades because he is the one who triumphed over the grave. Death and Hades are places of punishment and, st and states of punishment. They're the result of the sin of humanity. They're the result of the curse that has been placed on every single person 
who is not redeemed by Jesus Christ. Death and Hades symbolize a place of abandonment from God's presence and care. But Jesus is saying, fear not. I have the keys to death and Hades. In other words, I will not allow you to go to this place of punishment. I will not abandon you to the grave. Even though you are experiencing tribulation and hardship and have need of endurance, I will run alongside you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. That's the message that John needed to hear on that island at that time. And that's the message that we need to hear today. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us, no matter how hard it gets, because he holds the keys to death and Hades. He earned them through dying on the cross. John finishes verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And that's exactly what we have been reading, the message that Jesus Christ gave for you and for me. So what's the point? What's the so what, if you will, of this sermon? The so what is simply this. Jesus is Lord over death. And so we need not fear anything in this world or outside of this world, including death. We can walk with confidence in this world no matter what trouble or hardship or persecution we're experiencing because he holds the keys. What do you fear? What keeps you awake at night? Jesus Christ is in charge of that. Jesus Christ is over that. Jesus Christ is more powerful and more beautiful and more fearsome than whatever it is that you fear. What Jesus is saying is through him we will endure. The kingdom will come and we will be there to inherit it. For we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you are a Christian, if you have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and you consider him king of your life, this is the promise that God gives to you. If you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, I challenge you and ask you the question, who are you worshiping and do they have the power to make these claims? And do they have the love for you to get up on a cross and die for you? Since Jesus holds on to us, we can hold on and we can endure. So let us do so. Confidently, gracefully, with hope for the future. For he is in our midst. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this vision. Thank you that you appeared to John in this way and that John wrote it down so that we would know that you are the Son of Man, the one who looks and acts like the Ancient of Days, and that you are over death and Hades, and you're holding on to us. You're in our midst. You are here. Even though we cannot see you, we know by faith that you are, and you will continue to strengthen us on this journey. We have much need of endurance and patience. 
So God, let us hold on to you for you're holding on to us and you will never let us go. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.